my subject this morning is examine yourself. <clears throat> we try and have the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month here at Grace Bible Fellowship. Today is a special day which we celebrate the oneness of the body of Christ. So whether you are a Methodist, a Baptist, the Church of Christ, or any one of the 300 different denominations that we have in this country of ours, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You were added to the body of Christ. And so that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the oneness of the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper was given to us to remind us that we are one in Christ and that you are qualified forever to share and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Sadly, like so many areas of the Christian life, the Lord's Supper has become a solemn ritual instead of a celebration. In many churches, the lights dim, the organ music starts, and it, they try to give an atmosphere of confession, confessing of your sins, and uh, to get right with God before you partake of the Lord's Supper. Then the pastor may read from 1 Corinthians 11:27 Therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord But a man must examine himself and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And because of this one sentence, or I should say these two words, examine yourself, churches around the world use this as a motivating factor of self-examination. They tell us that we need to think about unconfessed sins. And they also tell us that we need to think about things that we could have done but failed not to do it. Sins of omission, they call it. And some are told that if any unconfessed sin remains or that you are living in sin, you should let the cup pass. In other words, you shouldn't take communion because you would be drinking condemnation on yourself. Did Paul really mean that we are not worthy to take the bread and the wine unless we go through this qualifying, um, cleansing process? And the answer to that is absolutely not. There is no truth in the way that many perform the Lord's Supper. You see... Something is wrong here. Something is radically wrong. Every Christian 
should know that they are forgiven of all their sins, their past, their present, their future. They should know that everything was completed at the cross. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, he meant exactly that. It is finished. It's no difference than in the Old Testament where the Jews annually would come to the temple with their accumulated sins and get them forgiven. So we must come to the conclusion that either our sins are forever forgiven or we are still in our sins. So which is it? We are forever forgiven. Forgiveness is no longer a doctrine. It is life itself. God says that my forgiveness and my redemption are absolute. They're absolute. They're a fact. Our habit of asking for more forgiveness, asking for more redemption, asking for more righteousness, asking for more sanctification, it must be replaced by the habit of trusting Jesus Christ for your life. It is no wonder that many believers walk around seeing themselves as sinners. They are double-minded about their standing with God. All they've heard, all their Christian life, is you must get right and stay right with God. And that has brought nothing but confusion and frustration. The real problem is we have mixed the word of God with the traditions of men. We have lost sight of the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper. We don't need to get right. We don't need to get forgiven. We don't need to get cleansed before the Lord's Supper. Because the purpose, the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remind us that we are already forgiven, that we are already cleansed. That's the whole purpose of it. It is to, for us to be reminded what Christ did on the cross for us. So what is the truth in Paul's writings here? Paul calls for this examination. It's a response to a specific problem that the Corinthian church was going through. Back then, the early church sat down to eat an entire meal together at the Lord's Supper. The question is, what were, what were the Corinthians doing that needed examination? Well, when you read your Bible in 1 Corinthians 11, you'll find that they were showing up early, drinking and eating all of the wine and all of the, eating all of the food. The result was that the poorest people, when they came, there was no food left. And for this reason, Paul told them how they were <clears throat> conducting the Lord's Supper, that they needed to examine the way that they were conducting the Lord's Supper. It was not right. It had nothing to do with bringing a laundry list of sins that needed to be forgiven. 
before you could partake of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11.20, the Bible says this, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. So we pretty well know that it was real wine that they had at the Lord's Supper. Pretty hard to get drunk on Welsh's grape juice. Now, the Bible says here, What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. So the Bible is very plain. They were acting like drunkards and gluttons, and as they left nothing for those who needed it most. Paul told them, if you're that hungry, go to your own home and eat first. And then come to the Lord's Supper, and then you will be a blessing to those who have little. The Lord's Supper is but a, a reminder of what God has done for you. It is praising Him. It is thanking Him. It is focusing on the cross. The Bible never said that the Corinthians were unworthy. It says that they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Big, big difference. It's not that they were unworthy. They were just partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. All believers, the moment that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all believers are totally holy. They're totally righteous. They're perfect forever. Now, they don't feel this. They don't act that way because it takes, it takes us growing in Christ, renewing our mind. And as we go through life, renewing our mind, we become closer and closer to what Christ initially had in mind for us. But the way that they were choosing the Lord's Supper was inappropriate and unworthy. The Bible says again, in verse 28, it says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Sometimes when we read a text, and it's just a common practice that we have, we look at it, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. And we know, as born-again Christians, that we pass through the judgment. There is no judgment to the born-again Christian. Now, some claim that this is church discipline. And when we read through it, and let's go ahead and go through it. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, sleep is a metaphor for death. So, the Bible saying that some of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have died. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. This judgment is not by God. Now, 
contrary to what many people feel and think, it is from the body, it is from the church, the judgment is from the body and the church. If you come to the Lord's Supper and you're getting drunk and you pass out, the body of believers will judge you. If you're eating all the food and neglecting the poor, the body of believers will judge you. This is church discipline that Paul is talking about. But always remember something about church discipline. Church discipline is never punishment. Church discipline is to disciple one. That's what the Bible, the same, same word for disciple is discipline. So the church discipline is to disciple. And there's another misunderstanding about about the Lord's Supper, and that's found in verse 30. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick. Now, if you're a glutton, as we all know on Thanksgiving Day, the first thing we want to do is go lay down and sleep. Um, and we become weak, weak physically and weak in mind. And all we want to do is just lay down and, and, and get some rest. And we know that if you are drinking, if you're drinking alcohol, that there's going to be an issue with that. There's going to be a problem with that. And that is the natural consequences of their drunkenness and overeating is, could be, death. Now, I come from Minnesota, in northern Minnesota. They, the Catholic Church has a... a uh, clinic there for priests that are alcoholics. And when you take mass every day and you drink that cup, you become addicted, just like anybody else would. And we know that alcoholism will bring death sooner than it should be. So what is the real meaning of the Lord's Supper? Before the crucifixion, Christ said in John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, as we know as the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he told them, My body is going away. But I'm going to send my spirit into you. And when I do, God will be living in you. Now, I've shown you the text before about when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, not only does the Holy Spirit come in, but the Trinity occupies you. And so the Bible says that, that Christ will be living in you, and so our doing to the body will be representing Christ here on this earth. So instead of this body, Christ is saying, which I am living in now, it is confined to me to be in one place at one time. My body will be throughout the world living in believers everywhere. So Jesus gave the disciples a visual aid one that they would never forget. Jesus held up the loaf of bread 
and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Here at Grace Bible Fellowship, we try and duplicate the same to some extent. We take one loaf and we break it. And each person takes a portion of the bread and eats it. And it is a reminder of the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And you did this by faith. And it was added, and you were, I should say, you were added to the body of Christ. So we are all added to the body of believers. Whether we're worshiping here or whether we're going down the street, wherever we may be worshiping, we are added to the body of believers. It is in us. Christ in us, the Bible tells us. We represent Christ's body here on this earth. We are, the Bible says, the body of Christ. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, I hope that you can see it. I hope the visual view is is embedded into your mind. We have become the body of Christ here on earth. He is the head. We are his body. We are one in him. When we observe the Lord's Supper, we are saying that we belong to Christ and we belong to one another. That's what we're saying when we come to the communion table. Now, notice in Matthew, Matthew 26, 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want to emphasize again the forgiveness of sins. When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he cleansed you. He cleaned house. And then he gave you that new heart. And then he gave you that new human spirit. Your human spirit is different now than it was before, before you accepted Christ. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but it is that way. So you have been given forgiveness of your sin. You live in a forgiven state. I notice that many and most all of us, when we sin, we feel bad. And a lot of times when, when I sin, I say, Lord, what's wrong with me anyway? Don't I, don't I really get the message? Um, so, yes, we feel a sorrow, but your sins are forgiven whether you confess them or not. Confessing your sin has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, 
In Hebrews 9:22, it says, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It takes the blood to forgive sin. It's not us asking. It's what Christ did for us that forgives sin. Then the Bible says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, I cannot tell you how many times I have been in churches where they have an altar call every week. And first they ask those who give their life to Christ, and there's nothing wrong with that, I'm not condemning that at all, to give their life to Christ, they can come forward. And then they will say, and all those who would like to rededicate their life to Christ, for them to come forward. And so, people feel that they have something to do with their acceptance by God. They've already said yes to Christ. They've already been forgiven forever. Whether you confess that sin or not, that sin is taken care of. There will be a natural sorrow for sin, and we all have it, because we are born again, because we have a new heart. But the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross put an end to sin. That's why you've heard me say over and over and over again, no one will be lost because of sin. The sin issue is over. It's completely over. The only way a person can be lost is through unbelief. That's the only way. Unbelief in what Jesus Christ did by taking away the sins of the world, the Bible says. His sacrifice secured our forgiveness forever. By trusting in him, we become forgiven people. And yet, millions of Christians, they're begging and pleading with God for something that he already has done. And so they feel double-minded because they're not sure where they stand with God. The cup of the new covenant means that we are totally forgiven. And the Bible says now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Any offering. It was completed. Jesus encourages the partakers of the Lord's Supper to be in remembrance of him. Remember what he did for you. It was never intended to be an occasion to count our sins and name them one by one so that we could be gain forgiveness. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. When will we believe him? When will we actually believe that it was finished? To, believer, to the believer, the Lord's Supper should be a joyful time. It should be one that we would be, it would be a celebration thanking him for what he has done, thanking him for what 
he is doing, thanking him for his grace and mercy until he returns the second time. One thing more about the Lord's Supper. As believers, we are forever qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ for the Lord's Supper. There is no such thing that a Christian who's born again has to qualify for the Lord's Supper. That is just the traditions of men. As a pastor, I encourage everyone who wants to partake of the bread and the wine to do so. And when you do, it's in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's why we take it. And as far as children are concerned, I leave that up to the parents, and I never question their decision. They know their children. If they want them to take communion, I see nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's a good process of the learning. The Lord's Supper is a celebration. So let's celebrate. Our Heavenly Father, it's been an honor to come here and, and praise you and thank you. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. We're thankful that we are free. We're thankful that the sin issue is over. And now it's our relationship with you. We praise you and thank you for what you have done and what you are about to do with each one of us. As we leave the sanctuary, we realize that we are your body, that we represent you, and we pray that we give you permission, actually, to live in us and through us in everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.